I, I've always said to myself that once I become one of those guys with the metal detectors on the beach, I need to just like check out. They're my cool pops as hell. Does it. Yeah. My parents, uh, they both metal detectors regularly. Sorry, Mr. Bauer. I didn't mean <laughs> to make fun of you. Everybody, welcome back to Wiki Garden Podcast. I'm your host Mike, and on the show with me tonight is Witness G. Hey, G. How you doing, everybody? So uh, tonight on the show, we're going to do a little bit of news. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, pirate treasure here in New Jersey. Uh, let's take care of a little bit of business before we do that. If you have a haunting cryptid sighting, any kind of UFO story or something along those lines that you want to share it with us, we'd love to have you on the show. You can get in touch with us at wickedgardenpodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I am at Garden Wicket, and Garrett is at underscore Moblin, M-O-B-L-I-N underscore Moblin. Uh, we also have a Patreon page. If you would like to become a member for as little as a dollar a month, you can join our Patreon. There's extra content over there. Uh, we play unedited interviews. We have cool EVPs that I've caught in the past. All really cool stuff over there. And for as little as a dollar a month, it's not a big deal for you, but it is a huge deal for us. It'll help us out. So if you feel like joining, go over to uh, patreon.com, look up Wicked Garden Podcast and become a member. So tonight on the show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of news, so we'll get started with that. Garrett's got something he wants to talk about. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, really what's caught my attention in the past week or so is uh, the news that maybe the Big Bang that uh, formed the universe, maybe it uh, maybe happened a lot earlier than we thought, or maybe it didn't even happen at all. And that's coming oh. from the first photos from the uh, James Webb telescope. Have you heard anything about it? I have not, but I know about the Webb Telescope, and I've been excited about it for quite some time because hopefully it's going to put a lot of things uh, to rest and also create a lot of interest in some other cool stuff. Um, it's an amazing piece of equipment, yeah. um, and I understand that when they look into this thing, they're essentially looking back in time. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. is you're almost time traveling. I've been excited about James Webb since it launched. I'm slightly paranoid they're going to take it down for some reason. Maybe they'll find something. There'll be an accident. There's already been a near collision with a meteorite that took it offline for a couple of days, which was kind of strange. Oh, man. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, there was a problem with the mirrors at first, and then it got hit by some meteorite debris, which almost took it offline. And, uh, you know, it's just barely been working for a month. So, I mean, kind of two big deals that already almost happened with it. So Yeah, I think to explain this to, you know, like laymen and people who aren't into everything that's going on up in the sky and uh, all that good stuff, I, my impression is that when you look up into the night sky, a lot of the stars you see are already dead. And what you're seeing is you're seeing light that's been traveling towards the earth for, you know, millions of years that's, and that's that's actually what you're seeing right 
that's what I've always thought of. You know, that's a rough explanation of it. Yeah, well, apparently, since the first photos have come out, there have been, from what I understand, almost 200 scientific journal articles written that have been uh, basically claiming that there's no way either light's not working the way we think it is or time isn't working the way we think it is because, you know, just to refresh our audience, if, if they're not tracking, that uh, Big Bang was supposed to have happened uh, 14 billion years ago. And right. based on the data, what they're saying is that not only can they look back further than 14 billion years with this piece of equipment but where they're looking they're not seeing a hot dense space like you know the primordial soup that's described in the big bang theory they're seeing millions of other perfectly formed galaxies that shouldn't exist that far back in time and not Mm. forming but pre-formed so entire galaxies with stars and their own planets and solar systems that's probably putting a lot of wind in the sails of creationists (laughs) <laughs> so uh for now no. <laughs> right i mean it, it, yeah those guys always need something to hype up about yeah. so so they're either off on their projections uh you know maybe the data is skewed somehow but for right now they're looking back to that time and they can't see a big bang correct so again not to say the big bang didn't happen but that's how it's coming across in a lot of medias lately you know just in the past week is that maybe the big bang didn't happen but maybe it just happened a lot longer yeah. ago than we expected it happened you know maybe it was more yeah. like 40 140 billion. billion years instead of 14 right. you know who, who really knows but just that speaks volumes for the level of technology in this piece of equipment yes yeah, uh yeah we really we really haven't talked a lot about the the web we, t- we touched on it a little bit i think at the outset but we haven't really talked a lot about it we haven't talked a lot about aliens and space yeah, and all that and other there's a stuff reason for a while <laughs> there's yeah. a reason for that we're not not interested in ufos especially like we said if you've had a sighting that you want to talk about then we definitely want to hear about it yeah but what's going on is, is there's so much right now in the ufo world as far as ufo politics go because that's a real thing i discovered since i've had twitter these few weeks um yeah there's ufo politics and ufo twitter is nuts like i told you before you know i've just been lurking pretty hard yeah there's people jumping to conclusions and setting up little encampments and you know picking sides and picking their pet theories and instead of just listening to the data and taking it for what it's worth they're you know getting entrenched in these opinions there's people being people right i mean yeah, it's yeah. just a, it's a human condition right well it's what i believe yeah. so it's right and you know? everything's been so political lately that everything's divisive even ufos which blows my mind yeah but yeah. uh these people really do get caught up you know on having their theory and sticking to that no matter what and then at the same time you have with the past year we got pretty hyped for it when it first started unfolding but now it's been going so crazy with the government and uaps they're calling it that it's almost impossible to cover in the news for you guys um we'd like to pick a case and talk about it maybe but as far as just in general the update that we have been giving is we just can't do anymore because it's just unfolding too fast well the last thing we talked about was those triangles overtop that navy ship yeah right and exactly you know we got pretty heavy into that and we talked a lot about it we were pretty on board with the fact that maybe it was definitely you know something from another world that was you know screwing around with the military and lo and behold a few months goes by and they wind up proving that these things are just drones it's just it was just an a drone a drone attack either by you know another government entity or Somebody who's really organized with a bunch of drones screwing yeah. around. Just, Whoever it was, they just. I'm be- thankful for the fact that it just was identified. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to yeah. get too caught up on whatever we speculated at the time because honestly, I can't recall whatever we thought on the show. But all right, cool. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, aliens. It wasn't time travelers. Right. It was just drones. 
school. And it, I believe it probably was from another government agency. There's yeah, because they wouldn't tell them. Yeah, they wouldn't tell them we're going to use this, you know, thing and we're, we want to see how you guys react to it. Yeah, They're no, testing that would reactions. defeat the purpose. You know what I mean? If right. that's what your goal is, to test the reactions or to see if it's observed or not. or you know, But the government sat there. You know, government sat there for three months while UFO Twitter speculated and we speculated and they didn't say anything about it. And they knew what the answer was. Yeah, yeah. And it they, was supposedly an official Navy video, which it was. The Navy didn't know what it was, but the government knew what it was. Yeah. So it's it's hard to get excited about this stuff because, you know, give it time, give it a couple months, you know, couple, three, four months, and, you know, the truth will come out. Yeah, that you know? seems and, to be what's uh, been happening lately. Yeah, and I just, you know, I... Uh, this much I know this, this new thing that's going on. Right. So now you were talking a little bit about it. The government's going to look in again, I believe, and do, do uh, some other kind of program looking into this stuff. Yeah. And they keep you know, changing the names of these programs, which makes it, you know, even harder to follow. Well, you know who they put in charge of it. Right. Cause uh, I just remembered this just to let everybody know we've done the show to this point twice. <laughs> and I'm glad we went back and, and redid it because I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Skinwalker Ranch show that's on TV, uh, where, you know, it's Brandon Fugel and then he's got, you know, a security guard. What's the guy's name? Dragon or some shit like that. Well, I'm anyway, very familiar with Skinwalker, but I've never, I haven't seen the show yet. I'm probably, yeah, the show I, I, I even, yeah, I can't even remember what network it's on, but anyway, there's a guy on there. Um, blonde haired guy who is like the chief investigator. He's the guy that the government picked to head up this new program. Oh, I, no I'm kidding. not kidding you. No, he picked, they picked a, a guy who's been on a, a show, <laughs> like oh, a, a show that's, you know, not a show if it doesn't, you know, show some evidence of something going on at Skinwalker ranch. Yeah. I mean, that guy, I can't remember his name, but he's involved in this program. Well, now I got to watch it sooner than later. That makes it hard for me to take it serious. Yeah. And I'm, look, I'm all about government transparency with these programs. At least, you know, as somebody that holds a security clearance themselves, I get national security. I understand why certain secrets have to be kept. But what I don't understand is if you're going to be doing this transparency, don't run it like an entertainment program. The whole point of forming these groups was to get citizen science involved to accurately track data. And we haven't seen any of that. We haven't even seen the data that's supposedly coming down the pipe to be released to us. They're, it's like they're drip feeding us exactly what they want. Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical about the whole thing. Yeah, it's, no, it's hard really not am. to be. It's hard not to be. And I think you and me are pretty good at keeping open minds. But at the same time, like this whole thing just feels wrong. And the, I, the people My that mind's are wide open. But when I look on Twitter and I see some guy that's on there that, you know, has another podcast or appears on other podcasts. And he's telling me that, you know, I, I don't get it because, you know, there's definitely the go the government definitely has something they're hiding from us. <laughs> you know, where's the evidence? I just don't see the evidence. I don't get it. Yeah. Where's okay. People have security clearances, right? They get cancer, whatever. Where, where are those people coming out and saying, Hey, you know, I was involved in this program and nobody knew about it. Right. And I've talked to a couple of those people, one that I can think of right off the top of my head, who, you know, talks about his experiences and then, you know, has gotten a lot of plays, wrote, written a couple books and stuff like that. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the guy's more interested in money than he is telling the truth. I mean, you know, 
Now I'm sure there's I, some very interesting deathbed confessions out there that we don't even know about. But but yeah, maybe at, at the end of the day, if you're looking at it from an entertainment standpoint, like yeah, I try not to trust anything I hear honestly and half of what I see. But yeah, you can't really trust in anybody screaming disclosures coming, and then you can't really. Oh God! You just have to. Everybody has to <laughs> stop picking a side for this. It doesn't like this whole subject yeah. doesn't even need to be political. You don't need to just no. decide. You just have to have an open mind. And, and look at the data as it yeah, comes in and, yeah. and judge it for what it is. You know, it's an evidence. It's evidence of a light in the sky. It's evidence of a object that moves faster than any other object we know. That's what it's evidence of. It's not evidence of being visited from another, you know, civilization. And I just find it hard to believe that through all these years, you know, if, if anybody's ever gone to the DMV, <laughs> right. And, and or anywhere, you know how government agencies run, right? These people are overworked, underpaid, you know, they feel that they're underappreciated and sooner or later you would get some whistleblower, right? And I know people are going to be yelling at the, the, the radio and yelling at their device that they're listening to this, to this on and talking about different cases and, and all that other good stuff and, and bringing up examples. But I just don't, I don't see the mass like now we've got this, it's okay to talk about this if you're a Navy pilot, right? Or if you're, you're a pilot in the, in the Air Force, you're, you're now allowed to talk about this openly. Okay. All right. Well, then where are the guys that were flying 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Where are they with their stories? Now, I will say this. There was, there's still, there, you know, they try to make it where you say anything or report anything. But at the end of the day, you're completely judged based on what you say. So these guys almost, you know, not to play devil's advocate, but I understand why they would say something. I understand why they're keeping to themselves if they've had experiences because you do get tagged a certain stigma when you start talking about this stuff. Yeah, but I'm talking like guys that are like on their deathbed, retired, you know, they're not involved in regular society anymore. What are they worried about at that point? Why, why well, would they stay quiet? We haven't heard anything from anybody when it comes to the deathbed confessions. We haven't got any, or we haven't heard about any from those type of pilots. I mean, there was a few about, right? There was, there was, there was a few about Roswell, right? Supposedly. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm just skeptical about the whole thing at this point. I, I'm telling you where, where my head is at is that there's lights in the sky and we don't know what they are. That's it. That's where I'm at. We don't know if they're from here. We don't know if they're another civilization. We don't know if they're from another galaxy. We don't know anything. We just know that there's objects and lights in the sky that we can't identify and that they fly in ways that we, you know, we're not familiar with. That's yeah. where I'm at with it. I'm almost, I'm, I'm in the Greg little camp. Like, I'm glad you turned me on to that interview he <laughs> did with mysterious universe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you look back, the other thing is too, when you look back in, like if we're, if we're moving towards a general theory of all paranormal activity and all things that are supernatural. Okay. If we talk a little bit about like Moses in the burning bush, right. Yeah. It, it could have very well been a light entity, right? A lot of but times again, angels are, are described as light entities. You know, we have this all throughout history, right. Where these beings of light come like a lot of the saints who, you know, could levitate and could bilocate and stuff like that. They yeah. talked about being brought, being lifted in the air and being brought to different places by light entities. That's what they, they call them. They call them beings of light. Right. Mm -hmm. And I am not going any further than that. There's beings of light out there. We don't know what they are at this point. 
Yeah, That's you know, I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. I, yeah. I think it could very well be the same phenomenon. You know, yeah. it's, they came to us a different way that we grew up with when, you know, when we were learning about saints. I feel like it could all be very connected. And there's a lot of, a lot of strange correlations you can draw between like angels and praise or the, or any kind of light being. Right. I, you know, and the other thing is the other reason too, that I'm just down on talking about it right now is something that should be exciting and that we should be getting excited about has been hijacked by these people who are just interested in forwarding their own agendas. They just want to worship Lou, Lou Elizondo. He's a patriot. He's a, just a fantastic guy. Blah, blah. You guys didn't even know who the fuck he was three years ago. You know, <laughs> calm, slow your roll. Yeah. Right. Like, you don't I think, mean, come you don't on. think old Lou ain't uh, profiting from all this? Come on now. You know, and, and even if he isn't, you know, we just don't know enough about the guy at this point, you know, and there is conflicting information. There's some people that don't have very nice things to say about well you know so if, if we just i wish we could just everybody could start new and just like you know what right. maybe maybe the government was keeping secrets maybe they weren't maybe we don't know what the hell's going on but here we have new technology let's start fresh let's just look at this from a scientific perspective let's throw out all the abduction phenomena let's just look at what it is uap right i would like to read these stories and be excited about them again yeah cause I, I would like honestly, that it's taken it's taken a lot it, of the fun out of it it really, I feel like I have to grab a tinfoil hat helmet, a water pistol, and jump into a retarded foxhole. Hey, you know, pick the lizard people. Go jump in with the lizard people, people. And, you know, then go go jump into, you know, the, the, gov the government's hiding something from us. Jump into that foxhole. Just pick a group, man. Hurry up, pick a group. I just think it's the way the people think nowadays. Yeah. I, I you, think you're right on that's it, what dude. I'm I think you don't have to pick. You don't have to pick. There's the subject is too broad to not, you know, you can have an interest in one thing and a completely different interest in another. Just take what you can from each side of the subject. If you yeah. firmly believe that deductions happening, okay, cool. Well let's look at that from the scientific perspective. Yeah, can we just analyze the data? Yeah. Barely. And I have my own theories about abduction. I think it's completely psychological at this point. I do too. Um, I do too. And a I don't even want to say I mean, I'm not saying nobody's ever been abducted, but I believe that a lot of it is people falling in and out of dreams, falling in and out of sleep. Yeah. Um, and I believe these people believe that they have been abducted, but. Absolutely. Know, absolutely. And I don't, I don't like, think they're making it up. I'm sure people are making hoaxes here and there, but I mean. Like I think these people that firmly believe they they've had experiences with you know extraterrestrial entities or you know interdimensional entities, I believe that's possible real thing that could be happening on a psychological scale, and they accepted it as full blown truth. It's and their I'm not reality. That it's not. It's, it, it is a reality. It's their reality, but it's not Absolutely. something measurable. At least not from from an external point. Maybe right. if you have, I like, have the utmost respect up, for. Yeah, I, I don't want to disrespect anybody that's had some kind of contact incident. I think there. I want to know about those. It's not like I'm gonna write that off anytime I hear about it. But I think we need to break these down into different categories. But at the same time, stop being religious about yeah, it. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you know, they they really are. And there's a great deal of these people that would make fun of the creationists and make fun of religious people. And they're literally turning around and doing exactly what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Diana Pasalko is right about one thing. I mean, when she said the UFO thing is like the new religion, she she was right about it. She really was. Oh, yeah. They don't want you know? Yep. We she really was. Forming. It's almost like a... And then we have the social media aspect thrown into it. Man, it's it just yeah. perpetuates itself. I really... I Honestly, I did not Social media Twitter. just... Yeah, it elevates people's voices when they're at their worst. Yeah, it's the same. It's what social media does. It's a horrible way to communicate with other people. And on top of it all, you know, you're usually... Now there's evidence 
that, you know, you're only on there because you're in a bad mood to begin with, right? You're looking to pick a fighter. You're looking to, to, you know, take out some frustrations. But, yeah, I would love to get excited about it again. So hopefully the web telescope does that. You know, some of this stuff will come back and we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, yeah. maybe I'm having too much hope in humanity. Yeah, I, I'd like to get excited about it again, man. Hopefully we will be able to. It's not that we don't want to talk about this. It's just that a lot has been happening so quick that as far as just news, is, it's just been it's been hard to do a show, bring everybody no. up to speed on what's yeah. happening because it's happening so fast and it's going to happen more. But I would love to talk about a singular case or something specific, but as far as just keeping you guys up on the news, I know we were trying very hard when everything was uh, coming to a head, but once it exploded, it was, it was just hard to keep up with. Yeah, I keep one eye on it, hoping that it'll sort itself out. Yeah. And, you know, then maybe we can talk intelligently about something. Until then, let the other people scream and yell and get all upset about it. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. So you ready to get into a couple of the things we were going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about pirate treasure here in New Jersey. If you grew up in Jersey, you've always, regardless of where you grew up, whether it be Cape May Point, you know, all the way up the coast of New Jersey, you've, you've heard stories of buried pirate treasure. And we've all gone to the beach and seen the guys out there with the metal detectors, right? And we know, you know, that the Andrea Doria, you know, was off the coast and there's some some treasure that was displayed here in Atlantic City for a while that was from the Andrea Doria. There was like t a tea set and all that other good stuff. You know, so we've heard these stories of pirate treasure over the years. And what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the number one story we hear about, which is always William Kidd, Captain William Kidd. So Captain William Kidd was born in Scotland, uh, actually around Dundee, and his father was a seaman as well. He was a captain uh, of a ship. And when William Kidd was young, his father would tell him stories about the sea and all that good stuff. He would get, you know, excited about it and his father would go off. Well, when he was five years old, his father died out at sea. So William matures, becomes an older man, and he really loves the sea. He falls in love with it just like his father was. And he starts to sign aboard with a pirate ship that is going down to the Caribbean to plunder some gold and silver. So at the beginning here, I want to just tell the listeners a little bit about the difference between privateering and pirating. So you have to imagine back in the 1600s, you know, in the 1700s, there was a lot of places that did not have a name. Let's put it that way. Okay. And there were a lot of little squabbles going on. And if you had control of the sea, you had control of everything. If you could pick off a ship that had some silk in it or some spices or some silver or some gold, you, you had instant wealth. So it was a big deal. There was a lot of trading going on. You know, at that time there was silk coming from the far East. Uh, spices were a big deal. Uh, because people wanted their food to taste better. And most of those spices come from the Far East. They come from India and China and all that other good mm -hmm. stuff. And there were a lot of merchant lines that needed cover and security when they were out sailing around. So what you could do is you could be a privateer. And what a privateer was is you would get a letter from some authority, either a governor or, or a you know monarch or something along those lines. And that would basically allow you to plunder ships of the enemy of, you know, whoever signed your orders to become a privateer. So that was being a privateer. You would be able to go around and do security for ship lines. And the deal was that you would get a certain percentage. Like if you worked on a privateer ship, you would get a certain percentage of what you plundered. But you would also have to give a lot of it back to your sponsor. 
usually like 10 to 20% would have to go back to the people that actually sponsor you. When you were a pirate, you didn't get paid, but everybody got a share. It was a pretty democratic art form being a pirate because everybody from, you know, the lowly deckhands all the way up to the captain would get a share of the loot. Yeah. And uh, so being a pirate definitely paid better, but you were breaking the law and you had to watch yourself. Right. So that was the difference between being a pirate and a privateer. Uh, so William Kidd, he signs on and he signs on with this pirate ship that's down in the Caribbean. During that time, he and the crew get a little bit uh, pissed off at the captain who's, you know, got that ship and they wind up mutinying. So he takes over the ship and he renames it the Blessed William. <laughs> which kind of went over like a lead balloon, right? So they're down there in the Caribbean, and what do pirates do? They go out to sea, they plunder ships, and then they come back to port, and they spend that money in every bar and bordello known to mankind. That's what they do. They live a quick, fast, uh, very impulsive, very lawless life, and they love it, and they embrace it. So, I mean, it sounds awesome. I don't know how many times you fantasized about being a pirate but I did all the time. Oh God. Yeah. It was very (laughs) romanticized when we were kids. I mean, treasure Island was my favorite book. Absolutely. Speaking of which was inspired by an Island in Jersey. William kid. Yeah. Yep. So he, he signs on with this pirate ship. That's kind of where he's cutting his teeth down there. And then he, you know, they mutiny and they take over the ship and he becomes the captain. He's voted in as the captain because that's the other thing. Pirating was very democratic. You know, after they would take over a ship, they would all sit there and they would vote. And they would decide who was going to be the captain. So William Kidd becomes the captain of that ship. One night while he's off the ship and on the mainland, another pirate who was underneath him, he winds up taking the ship, overthrowing everybody that's on there. And they make off with all the plunder that that Kidd had and all that other good stuff. They get away with all the treasure, all that other good stuff. And, And Kidd is pretty much stranded in the Caribbean. Well, he makes his way back to New York. And while he's in New York, he figures that he's going to turn over a new leaf. He's going to become a merchant captain. Okay. And he's going to maybe own some boats and and do that kind of stuff. He meets a girl from Monmouth County. And this is a lot of what ties William Kidd in with New Jersey is his wife. And her name was Susan Ort. And he met her. And at the time he met her, she was actually widowed twice already. But she was one of the richest women in New York City. And New York City wasn't what you imagine today. I mean, the the tallest building in New York City at that time was a windmill. Um, And there was another grist mill, uh, I believe, that was maybe like two and a half stories tall. There was only 5,000 people in New York City. So it was a hub of piracy. There were a lot of pirates that hung out there. There was a lot of privateering. Um, There was a lot of merchant shipping that went in and out of New York City. But it was a very, very small, on a very, very small scale um, from what you would imagine today, if you imagine New York City. So he gets involved in New York society uh, through his wife, who once again is a girl from Monmouth County, New Jersey. And they, they're living in New York City. He has a, a beautiful 38-acre farm. And he starts to grab some ships. And he's doing basically just merchant, you know, running stuff, cargo to different places and, and things of that nature. And he's not even a cap at that point because he's got her money. You know, he's got money from coming in from being a merchant. 
you know, shipping company. And at that point, he really doesn't even need to work again. Uh, he basically could just fold into New York society. Yeah. And be a gentleman at that point. Yeah. I mean, well, he was rubbing elbows with high end politicians at this point. Yep. He was meeting all those guys, but he, he gets an itch and he wants to return to the city. So he actually convinces a consortium of politicians from New York and also some from London and also the King of England too, as well. He convinces the, them to give him money enough to buy a ship. So they stake him for 8,000 pounds and he convinces them to buy the ship so that he can go privateer against the French. So that's what he's going to do because at this point, England is in this war with the French. Yeah. So they actually make a purpose built ship for him over in London, which is called the adventure galley. That's the name of the ship. And they deck this thing out so that he's got all kinds of sails that he needs to go fast. This is a ship that's absolutely built for power and speed. Uh, it also has 46 oars on it, as well as, you know, like square sails and pointed sails, everything it needs to travel faster than the ships they're going after. So they outfit this whole ship and he sails to England to put together a crew so that they can begin to do this privateering. And where they want him to do it is they want him to do it in the East Indian Ocean. Because at that time they were bringing in silk. They were bringing sugar from over there. They were bringing in exotic spices, all kinds of things. Uh, we're going back and forth between what they call the East India Trading Company. Yep. So East India Trading Company was headquartered in Britain, and they also had that hub that was in India, and those ships would go between the two of them, and they were experiencing all kinds of problems with pirates and things of that nature, and so they were going to outfit kids so that he would be able to take on all these ships. So he gets the adventure galley and he fits out his whole crew. And William Kidd is one of those guys that he, he takes two steps forward and he always winds up taking one step back. <laughs> so he gets this crew, fantastic crew puts together and they're sailing out of London the day of, and as they're sailing by, they go by a naval ship a British naval ship. And he's below decks and the crew does not salute the naval ship on the way out of the river and into the English channel. And that was a no, no. Um, you were supposed to lower your flag if it wasn't a British flag yeah. or you were supposed to raise your flag if it was a British flag and you were supposed to salute the Navy and show your respect. Not only did they not salute them on the way out, but a bunch of them also mooned them. So oh, they man. literally I turned around that. on deck and shot them a moon on the way out. So the naval ship gives chase, catches up to him, and they take off all of his crew and basically conscript them to be in the Navy. That was their punishment. So now here he is. He's got this ship and he's got to outfit it, right? He doesn't know. He can't go to East India right away uh, because he's stuck here and he doesn't have a crew. So with the skeleton crew, he winds up sailing back to New York. And when he gets back to New York, there's a lot of ships that are already out. So he has to pick from the lowest of the low when he's re-outfitting and doing this new crew. So he puts together this crew, but they are just the worst. And he has to run crazy rough shot over them, you know, has to get physical with them, has to threaten them, all that other good stuff, right? And this crew is also made up of a bunch of guys who they're trying to work as privateers, but their heads are wrapped around pirating because that's what they did. 
So they get out to the east, out there in, you know, like Indian Ocean, and um, they are looking for pirate ships. And they're coming up dry. Can't find any of them. A couple of the East India Trading Company ships get clipped. And, you know, kids ship is nowhere around. Um, at the same time, because they're not bringing in any money, these guys aren't getting paid. And they start getting a little antsy. So kid starts cutting corners. And when he's not hunting down pirate ships or, you know, privateering proper, they'll take a ship and they'll basically pirate it. Okay. And they'll sink it and kill some people on board and that kind of stuff. And they're not supposed to be doing that with this letter from the king. That's not what their, their ideal, you know, situation is. That's not what they're supposed to be. It's probably like. So one particular night, um, there is a ship that they, they, they stop. And not only does kid not board the ship, he and his first mate lock themselves in the cabin of their ship and start drinking. And they order the crew to fight their way on board and take this ship. And one of the, one of the people who led that fight and took that ship was a gentleman by the name of William Moore. And he was the official gunner on kids ship. So he leads this little, you know, barrage over there to take this ship and they do it. And they wind up taking an, you know, an incredible amount of treasure. And here's kid and his first mate. They're locked in kids quarters, making sure that they don't get hurt. <laughs> so that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So a couple of weeks later, um, while out at sea, kid awakens in the morning and he comes out and then he finds out that he was a stickler for having the cannons put away and put away in a certain way. And during the night, uh, some rough seas shook one of the cannons loose and damaged one of the masts on the ship. And he went looking for uh, who this was that, did, you know, disobeyed his orders. And here it was William Moore. So we found him on deck and he and William Moore had words. And William Moore basically told him he was a horrible captain and that he was leading the crew to ruin. They weren't making any money, all this other good stuff. And, and, you know, kid defended himself um, and said, Hey, you know, I've got to watch who we go after. We're not really supposed to be pirating, blah, blah, blah. They get into it pretty good. Moore turns around to walk away and kid who had a really bad temper and liked to drink picked up a bucket and threw it across the deck and hit William Moore in the temple with one of the iron rings of the bucket. So Moore collapses to the deck and kids still screaming at him and you know, the ship surge and runs over and he says, you know, this guy's not in a good way. And by the next day, William Moore is dead. So, Fast forward a little bit and they're out there in the Indian Ocean. And this is what kind of puts the nail in the coffin for William Kidd. Uh, there is a ship out there called the Cata Merchant. And this ship is basically running under a Dutch flag. Okay. And Kidd sees it and he raises his French flag because at that time, France and, and the Dutch were not at war with each other. Um, so he's disguising, you know, that he's not a British ship. Yeah. And at the same time, the guy, the, the ship, the Cade of Merchant that was flying the, the Dutch flag, they actually wound up being, oh, actually, I have this backwards. <laughs> okay, so they were flying a French flag and they were a Dutch ship. Sorry about that. So what happens is they go over and the mate that they send forward to talk to the Adventure Galley is a French guy. Um, so they're playing the game just like kids playing the game. They're acting like they are, you know, one thing when they're another. Mm-hmm. 
And um, basically what happens is he plunders the ship. It's one of the biggest ships they ever got. And their haul is equivalent to about $15 million in today's dollars. Yeah. Which- yeah, that they get off of this ship. The problem is that this ship and a couple of the people that are on it are tied in with the East India Trading Company. And they were carrying some cargo for the East Indian Trading Company. And then also... Another thing that complicated it too was that the war that kid was, you know, privateering for had actually ended a few months before and he didn't know. Oh man. And he didn't know because didn't know there's no way to, to get any mail out at sea, right? Yeah. I mean, basically when he comes back to port, he'll find out. So he's got this murder of William Moore against him. He's got the fact that he plundered this ship and this ship had some friends in some high places. Okay. And then also, you know, he's supposed to be out there privateering, going after these ships, and, and the war is already over. So uh, they take this uh, stuff that they get, and they take the Cato Merchant, because at this point, the Adventure Galley is pretty much rotting out. They scuttle the Adventure Galley, which basically means they sink it. And they get on the Cato Merchant, and they sail to the Caribbean. And when he gets to the Caribbean, he gets word that the war's over and that, uh, you know, the king and his little group of people that had financed his operation are pretty pissed off at him and they're looking to arrest him. So what he does is he takes the Cato Merchant and he scuttles that boat. He does this in Hispaniola, which is now what we call the Dominican Republic. Okay, so he takes this ship and uh, they unload the treasure and they put it on another ship and they scuttle this down in Hispaniola. So he sails north and his basic idea is that he's going to go see Lord Bellamont in New York, who at that time is the governor of New York and is also one of the people that backed him. And he'll explain to him, you know, hey, this is, you know, this was a French ship and, you know, they had passports on there that were French and you know, I was just doing my job and I didn't know and all this other good stuff. And he's going to make it right. But kid's no dummy. So what he does on the way back up is he stops along the way to drop off some treasure. Because mm-hmm. the thought process is, is that if he gets in a jam politically, he'll be able to bribe somebody with this money yeah. and with this promise of being able to find this treasure. So on the way back up, one of the places he stops is lose Delaware. And he actually stops in Lewes, Delaware to get some repairs. So when he's in Lewes, Delaware, he is seen, you know, in some taverns and words start getting around and there's other pirates that are down in Lewes and they come to him and they say, Hey, just letting you know, um, a lot of the guys that were, that stole your ship when you were the captain, the, the guys that mutinied and stole your original ship, because a lot of them are living in Cape May. <laughs> So he hightails it out of lose and he heads north. Now, obviously, even though they talk about kids treasure in Cape May, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for him knowing that there's some people there that can identify him for him to stop in Cape May and bury any treasure. What we do know is that he went to the tip of Long Island and he did place some treasure on what they call Gardner's Island, which is all the way at the end of the, at the end of Long Island. Now that's the treasure that was eventually recovered or at least part of it was, correct? Yep. Not only was it recovered, it was 50 pounds of gold and 50 pounds of silver. And not only was it recovered, but after it was recovered, they actually put a two, like a tombstone looking marker on the spot where it was recovered from. So you can actually go to Gardner's Island and you can actually see this stone to this day. Now, one of the things that kid did was he took intense records. 
everything they ever got, you know, they would bring on board and they would inventory. And they had to do this because, you know, everybody was getting paid by shares, right? So you have to have this incredible accounting of every single piece of treasure. So there's pretty detailed records and we know how much treasure he had on board the ship. He had much more than what was discovered in Gardner's Island. So where else did he stop? Okay, did he stop here near Atlantic City? Did he stop a little bit further up in Raritan Bay? Uh, you know, where did he stop? So that's where all this speculation about kids' treasure comes into play regarding New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, he gets up to New York and he goes to see Lord Belmont and Lord Belmont has no time for him. Okay, because he's an embarrassment. And at this point, these rich politicians are just trying to rid their hands of this guy. And he has him immediately slapped in irons and sent to London. Uh, Suzanne Ork comes over to visit him. And during her time with him in the cell, he places a piece of paper in her hands. And it has some numbers written down on it. Or at least that's the legend. Okay, so she goes back to New Jersey. He winds up going to trial and the trial is basically just a formality because they want to get rid of this guy and they want to silence him. Yeah. So he goes to trial and his whole defense is on, Hey, I've got that paperwork. I seized those passports from those guys that were on the Cater merchant. And I know I have these French passports. I have them. They're in my belongings. They're in my paperwork, blah, 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 all this other good stuff. So, Conveniently, those three French passports go missing right before his trial. Um, right? They do later on appear, and they actually exist nowadays in, in, in the archives over in London. They actually have those French passports. But for the trial, they disappeared because they wanted to get rid of kid as fast as they could get rid of uh, That's interesting. They have them in London, too. Yep. Yeah, somebody went looking for him and found him. They found the uh, the letter he had from King William. They they found everything that he that he basically claimed that he had. No so they were over there. He was railroaded, and basically what they did is they they charged him with piracy, and then they also charged him with the murder of William Moore. Yeah. At the trial, some members of the East India Trading Company actually were in the audience watching. So it was a conspiracy to to just get kid and make him a you know, make a, uh, example. A, a example. Yeah. He was a scapegoat for everything else that was going on. And they wanted piracy to die down. It's really what they mm -hmm. wanted. They wanted that piracy to die down because they were making so much money with East India trading company that the faster that stuff went by the wayside, the better. It was a great way to make money, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, but now we're making money legitimately and we need people like William Kidd just gone. So they find him guilty, um, and he spends a year in a prison there, and he is actually executed. So he, he winds up getting executed, actually, in 1701. And when he does get executed, that's a fiasco as well. First of all, uh, the night before, they gave him a bottle of liquor <laughs> because they they weren't completely unsympathetic, right? So he shows up to his own execution, there's about a crowd of 200,000 people that are watching and uh, he's trashed. <laughs> okay. He's smashed out of his mind and he starts, you know, yelling at the crowd, you know, you guys shouldn't be judging me. And, and uh, the first thing they do is they, 
because he's a pirate and they're hanging him, the general idea is when you hang somebody is to make the rope nice and long so that your weight will go down and snap your neck because you have this longer distance to fall and you catch up speed and then that long rope snaps and snaps your neck and you're dead instantly. But when they hung pirates on purpose would do shorter ropes because they wanted them to suffer. They wanted them wiggling around. They wanted it to be a big show, all that other good stuff. So they get kid up there. You know, they don't put a hood on him. They put the noose around his neck. They pull the trap door. He goes down and the rope breaks. So the crowd starts laughing. He's laying on the ground. He's drunk out of his mind. Okay. Uh, probably at that point pissed himself. God knows. Right. <laughs> so they get him back up. And they have to pull him up and they have to hang him again. And this time they use a slightly longer rope and they're successful and they hang him and they kill him. But that wasn't good enough. What they did thirdly was yeah, they took yeah, him and they hung him. Well, first thing they did was they took him back and they tarred his body. So this is something they did back in the day when they wanted to preserve you a little bit. So they took him and they tarred his body and then they put him in what they call a gibbon. And this gibbon, what it is, is it's a hanging cage. I'm sure people have seen them in haunted houses, things of that nature, right? It's this metal cage that's about the size of a body and it has a chain up top and it hangs from a post. And he basically hung over the River Thames for several years. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I couldn't see exactly how long, but I did see years that he was there. Yeah, it was years, years. He was He was hanging over the River Thames. So if you came into town, you saw, you know, hey, that's the body of William Kidd. Again, almost so, like to make an example. So, you know, it was to remind pirates. Exactly. The placement over the river now. Yep. Unfortunately for East India Trading Company and for everybody else involved, it actually was taken another way. They took it as don't get caught alive. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the message that they got out of it. Right. So from then on out, any of these pirates, when they were, when they were getting caught, they fought to the death. Yeah, it's uh, honestly... Or sank their ships. Yeah, it's a crazy story. I mean, when we grew up, we heard about this. Even when oh, you go God, to a museum, yeah. there's always, I don't know, Spanish doubloons or, you know, pieces of eight. Yeah, and it's you, every you town. Know, everywhere. It, it's every town here. Literally. You know, it, it, yeah, you go to Sandy Hook, they talk about it. Actually, Cape May has a, a little play search every year for the kids. They have like a treasure hunt, and they have a guy dressed up as William Kidd. And he goes along. But when we were growing up, you heard about it all the time here in Brigantine. That's actually one of the biggest legends here in Brigantine. Although it's a shame because I know Brigantine has some cooler history than this. But, you know, kid, because it did, because, you know, we, we had all those like people literally would stand here with lanterns and do false light ships, you know, and this this island was full of people that were privateers and would go out and lure ships onto the rocks and then they would just go out and plunder them. You know, it happened all the time. Oh, yeah, that's but, a, that they call that moon cussing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, yeah. almost basically it's another form of piracy. But uh, people would line yeah, up on the board. on the shore with these lanterns and mimic the look of another ship. Then other yep. ships would actually run aground trying to pull up alongside them and helping whatever vessel they thought was in distress. And then these guys would launch off the shore with these uh, little small boats and just plunder them. Yep, our shoals are some of the worst shoals on the East Coast. I actually have a book that somebody wrote. A retired gentleman here, he wrote a book about all the different shipwrecks that are out here on the shoals. Um, there's modern day shipwrecks <laughs> that are out here Definitely. on the shoals. Definitely. I mean, it it's bad. 
I actually have a map too. It hangs in my grandson's bedroom here that has a list of every single ship and where it sank off the Brigantine Shoals. It's one of the coolest maps I own. Uh-huh. And uh, maybe I'll put a picture of it in the show notes. But I mean, this was common practice. That's how these people paid the bills. They went out there with like a 14 foot, 20 foot high post and they hung a lantern in the air so that they thought that there was a lighthouse here. So there's some cool history here, but one of the things that they always talked about, even back when the castle was still here, when Brigantine Castle was still here, they always talked about the ghost of William Kidd. You would meet him on the, if you went to the beach at night, you would meet him on the dunes or he'd be looking for, you know, his treasure out there. And um, that's pretty much every town all the way up and down the coast of New Jersey. I know even inland, we had stories of where my mom was told that there was treasure literally under Barnesville. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, And, you know, I'm sure there, there's been a lot of other pirates that we don't even know about that have lived there. Right. I mean, you know, all up and down the Mullica river, they used to come in and bring stuff. Oh yeah. We haven't even talked about uh, contraband. We haven't even talked about Blackbeard. who was also heavily in the area. Yep. It was a real big uh, legend when I was a kid and you heard about it all the time. And it was one of the best things about coming down the shores. You would, you get to read about that. It, you know, it was just exciting. Definitely. It was some good stuff. Yeah. But actually up near Sandy Hook, they, Sandy Hook was actually heavily searched. So that's one of the areas here that's actually really been heavily searched. And from time to time, people will find doubloons here on the beach and they'll find pieces of gold. It's happened over the years. Uh-huh. And, you know, you just you can't be sure where it came from. Well, it would make sense that it would be Sandy Hook, but also, I mean, there's so many, there's speculation where he hid that treasure all over the place, but either way, no matter where it would have been hidden, our shores have eroded so bad that if it was buried close to the water, it's probably lost the sea right now. And that's why, you know, we, we have these coins and different artifacts washing up here and there. Yeah. I actually got a list here of, of some of the places um, that it could have been here. I've, I found an online forum. Although many places in New Jersey have been advanced as a site of kids' hidden treasure, four have a particularly strong claim. One site is Cape May, where pirate and other ships often stop because it was a source of fresh water. So that's why it would be in Cape May, because maybe at the same time they were getting fresh water. But like I said, he got that tip in Lewis, Delaware about, you know, his mutineers being over there. So I don't think he would have stopped there. Another possible location is an island that was located at the mouth of Tom's River an area that provided protection for pirates from the ocean elements. And a third area is Sandy Hook, near where Kidd anchored on his final voyage and ran and back. This spot where the treasure was supposedly buried was marked by a grove of pine trees. These trees vanished long ago, as well as all memories of where they once stood. Probably the most famous and plausible burial site was just north of Sandy Hook, near Wales Creek, uh, which today is the southeast border of Middlesex and Mount Counties. Just off the shoreline was a small island where some 17th century gold coins were found. The island became known as Money Island and was located off the coast where Cliffwood Beach is today. It has long since disappeared under the eroding waters of the Raritan Bay, aided by extensive excavation over the centuries. Just inland from this location is a small body of water once called Duck Pond, but now known as Treasure Lake, where some additional gold coins were found. There is another nearby possible site of kids' treasure, William S. Horner, the noted and esteemed Monmouth County historian who wrote early in the century, dismisses the Cliffwood Beach legend as an old and worthless tradition. However, he admits to seeing some of the recovered gold. What is not a legend and cannot be disputed was the existence of two gigantic elm trees, which were known as Kids Rangers. One was at the mouth of Matawan Creek. That's crazy, right? Because that's where the shark went. <laughs> in Keyport, yeah, and stood until the turn of this century. The other was located at Fox Hill, now known as Rose Hill, 
which was 30 to feet higher than now. It is an interesting coincidence that Rose Hill became a cemetery in the early 1700s and is considered one of the most haunted cemeteries in New Jersey. These trees, according to legend, acted as range markers to guide Kid back to his buried gold. And Cliffwood Beach is centered between these two markers when sailing west from Long Island. Warner confirms the existence of these trees and remembers seeing the one at Matawan Creek in his youth. To this day, you can still see people occasionally searching for treasure at Cliffwood using shovels and metal detectors. On occasion, some tiny bits of gold and silver are found there. Uh, but whether they are ancient or not is another story. So that gives you a rundown of the possible spots here. So one of the things I had mentioned is, you know, kid's wife visiting and pressing a piece of paper into his hand that had a number. And that number actually began with 44. So when people talk about it, they figured that it was a longitude and a latitude, right? Because it had that number 44 in the beginning. The number that everybody reported was on the piece of paper was a place in Maine called Deer Island. And everybody would go up there and pillage this poor little island in Maine looking for this treasure. So it's now illegal to go look for treasure on Deer Island in Maine because that story about him pressing the piece of paper into his wife's hand is probably not true. There's a lot of legends that are tied up with a kid. Um, one of the legends, too, was that um, John Astor, who was a huge real estate man, he was at, at one time he was the richest man in the country, um, and he was a New Yorker. Uh, he was heavily involved in real estate and the fur trade. And he had a, this is kind of where this Deer Island Maine story starts. He had a fur trader that was up there in Maine, uh, a guy that would actually trap the fur and then bring it back for him. And uh, at one time it was said that while the guy was up there, he was on Deer Island and actually found the treasure and gave it to John Astor. And that's how Astor became so rich. I saw a really great documentary. It, it actually had that guy Walter on it. I, I think it's called America Unearthed. It's one of the best shows on TV as far as this kind of stuff goes. But he actually went up and interviewed one of Astor's relatives who still lives in a mansion in Red Hook. I think her last name was Archibald, but he talked to her about it and she denied it. And she said, well, if there was some kind of treasure, she goes, I surely don't know about it. And at this point, they're taking donations to kind of keep that mansion open. And she talked about how the money kind of ran out from his fortune early on in the 20th century, like around 1903, they were out of money. So for a while, it was talked about that, you know, probably Astor had it. Another legend said that uh, one of the Leeds brothers had it, <laughs> that he came across it and found it. Um, so that was tied in with it for a really long time. Uh, here's the facts. One thing for sure, they know that ship that he scuttled, Cato Merchant, yeah. They found that off the coast of the Dominican Republic and actually a fisherman found it. His bait got tied up on something. He didn't want to lose his rig and he dove down. And when he was down there, he saw these uh, cannon. And when they investigated it, the first thing they thought was, this is the exact formation that kid would like his cannons midship. Mm -hmm. You know, so that kind of gave him the impetus that it could be the Cato Merchant. Yeah, that's, and they that's since wild, found man. out that it was. Yep. So they were able to locate the Cato Merchant and its cannons. And there was no treasure. There was no treasure there when they went digging for it. Another thing that happened too was our friend Pat Croce, who has a pirate museum in St. Augustine, Florida. I actually went there on that trip. I took my dad to Key West because I thought it was going to be similar to the pirate museum that's up in Connecticut um, yeah. in Mystic Seaport. That's fantastic. 
and that's run by Barry Clifford. Um, and it's mostly shows the treasure from the Wida, which is the big treasure ship that was recovered off the Cape Cod. I figured it would be something like that. It's Pat Croce's museum is more geared towards kids to get them excited about pirates. We still had a good time in there, you know, took pictures with treasure and that kind of stuff, but there's a chest in there and it is kids personal treasure chest. So it's his personal chest. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So it, it's not a very big chest. I would say that it is probably 18 inches by 12 inches by maybe another 12 inches high. But there is a coin hammered into the back of it because that was good luck on a treasure chest. You would put the first coin on there. Very similar to like we put the first dollar when you open up a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a coin hammered on there that was period coin. And then also there was a bunch of newspapers from the day that were pasted on the inside of this thing as a lining. And they were all from that period. And then on the front, his name was actually chiseled into the chest. So it's empty, but it's there. You can go see it down in St. Augustine, Florida. So we know that is real as to where the rest of his treasure is. Uh, there's been speculation that perhaps it's maybe on Oak Island, the longest running <laughs> Dick T show ever in uh, the history of the world. Yeah, it still hasn't found anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going on about, what's it about six, seven years old and they still haven't found yeah. anything. They're too invested, man. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> like you if you'd buy. stop, you throwing away your money. But, yeah. I mean, there's they, definitely some strange shit going on that island. Yeah. Yeah. There is. And they talk about kids treasure there too. I think in the first few seasons, they thought it might have been kids treasure. So it could be anywhere and it could still be here in Jersey. So as maybe metal detecting gets better and gets more advanced, maybe somebody will come up with something. Yeah, there's a device now that's pretty popular in archaeology called a magnetometer. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much just the ground penetrating radar that you just tow. So you could walk it down a beach pulling this thing, and it's a lot easier than just walking and waving a metal detector. Not only does it show any metal, it'll show different types of metal. So you just know off the bat, like, it's not a tone. Just literally drag it, then you upload the data, and it gives you a picture. But it's, you know, accurate to the millimeter. So, yeah, it's pretty wild. (laughs) Now, I've always said to myself that once I become one of those guys with the metal detectors on the beach, I need to just, like, check out. (laughs) Oh, man. You know... I got to be honest with you. I think it would actually be a cool hobby. I see a lot of it on YouTube. Like I see these guys, they'll go out to like a farm and, and they'll do a farm out there and they find these old coins. And a lot of what they find is buttons off uniforms. Yeah. So they'll find these old buttons. They're cool as hell. Yeah. My parents, uh, they both metal attack pretty regularly. Sorry, Mr. Bauer. I didn't mean (laughs) to make fun of you. Nah. It's a good way to get some exercise. You know, you know what else is crazy? Um, we might as well talk about it. We're talking about treasure magnet fishing have you ever heard of that yeah yeah i'd, I'd love to do it i think it's yeah, cool it's pretty wild man those magnets are sort of expensive but when you get them it's pretty wild the stuff that people pull out of the water yeah i mean people might know mel fisher mel fisher was a big treasure hunter out of florida and actually when barry clifford if, if you want to look into some cool stories read a book called expedition wider by barry clifford it's a great book you want to talk about a guy who took his childhood you know stories and wondered about him his whole life and then you know made it a reality he found 10 million dollars worth of treasure off the coast of cape cod and went broke a few times trying to do it but one of his uh, mentors was mel fisher and when you go down to key west there's a pirate museum down in key west it's mel fisher's pirate museum and you go in there and there's all kinds of cool stuff but Right around, I guess, when I was maybe like 26 or 27, I got a thing in the mail because I was always interested in pirates and I read a lot of stuff about pirates. And I got this little mailer in the mail from this jewelry store that it was like in Mount Laurel. 
that was having this exposition of all this um, pirate stuff that came from like the Andrea Doria and also came from the Spanish Armada. I'm trying to remember the name of the Atosha is actually the name of the ship. So Mel Fisher is the guy that found the Spanish or, you know, the Spanish Armada that was headed back to uh, Spain with silver and gold from the Amazon. They were headed back there off the coast of Florida and they got caught in a hurricane. And I think about five or six ships went down, but the big one was the Atosha. So we go to this little jewelry store in Mount Laurel and we get in there and there's like armed guards and all kinds of stuff. And they had stuff for sale. So they had these big, huge 50 pound silver ingots that were like this amazingly pure silver because it was so old. And one of the coolest things that they had, and maybe I can attach a picture of that in notes too, was an old rosary that was made out of rubies. And it was unbelievable. And that's exactly where the guy with the gun was standing. (laughs) Right. But when we went, um, I actually bought a chain and it was, it's got, a uh, cross. It's not a cross. It's Jesus on a cross, but it's actually an anchor and it's made out of silver melted down from an Atosha ingot. I still have it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I got, I have the, um, the little proof of identity certificates that they give you for that stuff and all that other good stuff. I still have that. It was cool as shit. Yeah. And then it wound up, I, I wound up actually viewing that rosary again when I went down to Key West a few years ago, it was down there. He's still got it on display down there. Yeah, I'm going to have to look But that yeah, up. it was just at this, it was at this little jewelry store and it was just yeah. like a postcard came in the mail because I had, you know, bought a couple pirate books and stuff like that. I think I bought Expedition Wanda and then that came in the mail, but I'm dying to get up to Barry Clifford's uh, place in Cape Cod. I would love to see that because that's an amazing story. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I'd like to see it myself. I haven't been to it. Yeah, but it's, it's a, you'll get the, blo- like I said, you'll get the balloons here. You'll get, you know, little coins that'll wash up on the shore and I'll get everybody excited for a little while. But that stuff's fascinating to me. If, if I could have did anything, that's what I would have did. I would, I would have just looked for treasure. I think that would have <laughs> been fan. I, I don't even need to find any. I just think it's so cool. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. I've been on a few treasure hunts myself. I've, I haven't been Yeah, you panned for gold, right? Yeah, I panned for gold. I went out west looking for gold a few times. Specifically, that guy Forrest Fenn hid a treasure out there. Yeah. I've metal detected. Yeah. I mean, I'm an archaeologist. <laughs> yeah, Forrest. Yeah, you're an archaeologist. Forrest, um, he wound up killing about six or seven people <laughs> yeah yeah that definitely happened you know? <laughs> yeah yeah they died looking for that stuff right yeah. and then eventually some eventually the guy who found it i think he found it in like record time right it was just like a few weeks and he was like no it's obvious where this is and he found it yeah whoever found it i i don't even know i was just so pissed when somebody did find it because i swore i was gonna <laughs> get it but yeah it was i guess non-traditional because it was modern times it was a modern the treasure itself was old but it was right. hidden and relatively recently but yeah. a lot of people were speculating that it was out there at all but unlike a lot of treasures that have maps this guy wrote it this is he's a show in himself man but basically he was a, a vet that got pretty well off based on uh some art galleries he had in santa fe and when I say, okay. say like well off, he got very well off. And yeah. there's, there's a lot of controversy over him because he may have been dealing with the uh, artifacts that probably shouldn't have been on the market. <laughs> Maybe some gotcha. black market artifacts. Yeah, it's just some controversy here and there. But eventually he, he hid that treasure and for years people were looking for it. And I, like I said, I went out there a few times. My pops had an incident where he got uh, altitude sickness when I took him out there looking for it. I went with my parents that time and he had to get medical attention while we were there, man. Like it was really bad. I did not know altitude sickness was a thing until I seen it and we didn't know what it was at the time. I had it in the Rockies. 
Oh yeah. I, I didn't get the yeah, I didn't get the worst version of it. I think the worst version of it is called like Hape H A P E or something. Anything it's it's funny. Anything over eighty two hundred feet and you start to feel it. Yeah. And I was just really lethargic and tired and it we were out there like for three days, so I never actually got used to it. That's cool. But yeah, though, so man. definitely cool that you guys had that experience hunting. of going out there together. <laughs> yeah. But you it's know? it's something I've been doing. I just have not found any treasure in it. Like I said, we've metal detected a lot. I just I just like kind of searching for something. Yeah. And uh, you know, pirate the stories and the treasure always like really got me even from a young age. Don't give a don't give up out there. You know, get your <laughs> metal detectors and get to the beach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We uh now pretty much all we do is like last year when the whale died, we buried the whale on the north side. They went down there with a bull, you know, like a backhoe and dug it all out and they, they buried a whale down there. And then they told nobody, they told everybody, well, we're, we don't, we're not going to mark where it is, right? Because <laughs> they were worried about people going down there and taking like, I don't know, souvenirs, maybe trying to get a rib or whatever. And uh, we walked down about a week later and um, they had rocks around the outline of it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had brought rocks down, and they had rocks around the outline of where it was. Oh man! Yeah, but that's that's what they do with a well here when it dies. They bury it yeah. in the sand on the north side of the island. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, interesting story, man. So that's that's where all those treasure uh, stories come from. Sing! 